0: How many of us, we hear about stories like that, you, you admire people like that, and you think, gee, I can never do that. I don't have what it takes to work in the ICU. You see, we, we don't believe in the health, wealth, prosperity gospel. right? Suffering is something we, we expect. We get it, uh, we believe it, we embrace it. But there's a difference, I think, between simply enduring suffering and actually suffering well. How do you suffer well? Is there such a thing? You know, can you actually get good at it? You know, like, like how we talk about money, right? Oh, she's really good with her money. Or oh, he's terrible at managing his finances. See, the way we talk about those things doesn't work the same with suffering. Can you actually be good or bad at dealing with suffering? Because what if we can get better at it? And what if maybe, just maybe, we can get to a place where we don't retreat from suffering, but we actually step into it? That's what I hope to show you this morning in our psalm. Now, psalm 88 is arguably the only psalm in the Bible where lament and complain is not immediately followed by something encouraging. Right? So if you read the psalms, almost, in, in every psalm the writer describes what he's going through, and at some point God shows up. right? You take a well-known psalm like Psalm 73 uh, the psalmist sees how life is unfair bad people prosper when he tries to do right uh, he doesn't um, prosper and he suffers and then halfway through the psalm the moment comes where he says my flesh and my heart may fail but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever you see every other psalm of lament in the Bible has this uh, turnaround moment of but God you know it's like an epiphany except Psalm 88 in our psalm this morning, there is no but God moment. There's no rescue. There's no there's no shining light in the morning, no epiphany. And before we even look at it, the the fact that such a psalm is in the Bible, I think it's an amazing thing. It's so brutally honest about life, and it's a lesson for us that firstly, even God's people suffer, and secondly. Your suffering can go on for a very, very, very long time. You might be called to endure suffering for years without an end in sight. What do you do then? Is it what some idea does is it validates our experiences. It shows us an, an unfiltered and a naked reality of life wrecked right by suffering. It asks the question, but it doesn't give an answer. But in that silence is a lesson that's quite as loud. God is bigger than our suffering. And he doesn't begrudge our complaints. Have a look with me at verse one. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Then I cry out to you, may my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. Now, I have no doubt there are people here, sitting here this morning, who recognize these words. Right? You might even have been crying yourself to sleep last night. Just like Alzheimer's. But, there's a problem with this. I'm not sure if you notice it. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Present tense. It's not a future saving. Like, you will save me. That's why I'm crying out day and night. It's a present. Laura, you are the God who saves me. Do you see the irony? Why is he then crying day and night? It's like it's like a child saying, You know, I have the best bed in the world. gives me everything I need. Meanwhile, he's starving because he hasn't been given anything to me. But you see, like Haven't you had to wrestle with this exact issue? It's the question behind all suffering. Why? See, if God is loving, why this? I know in my head, you are the God who saves me. But my heart is so broken that I cry day and night. See, suffering is not just painful, it's confusing. Look at verse 3 to 5. I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You see, the psalmist is overwhelmed with troubles, and his life draws near to death. It's an, I think this is an experience of physical pain. It's so bad. Uh, He doesn't even feel like living anymore. In other words, he's he's as good as dead. I'm like one without strength. I'm set apart with the dead. He's really thinking he would rather die than go on like this. You know, I'm not even that old, despite what the uni students think. Um, But I've seen firsthand what cancer does to a person. It doesn't care if you have two young kids. I've, I've watched, I know, of a godly, driven, successful, actively serving the church pastor's wife slowly lose her mind to dementia before she was even 50. Right, And I, I said, I stood next to her mother at, at RPH as they turned off the machines for her son. I didn't know what to do. say, I just stood there while she wept and wept. Death does not discriminate. Pain is its currency which it hands out to everyone who has ever lived or will live and for some of us, death casts a big shadow on our lives. Things can get so bad that you I truly would rather die. That's what Al-Sahab is going through. I am set apart with the dead. He doesn't want to live anymore. It's it's a horrible place to be where you give up on life. And can you guess what he does (coughs) in these moments? Verse 6, you have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your ways. Do you know what the psalmist is doing? He's blaming God. It's all your fault, God. You have done this. Stop and think about it. I want you to see how it's unbelievable that God put Psalm 88 in the Bible. You see, the psalmist turns to God in his suffering like any good Christian, but then what does he do? He just goes, it's all your fault. See, there's a, there's a subtle but important lesson here is that when we are suffering, God won't hold our words against us. You see, how many of us you have, have ever been in a situation where you, know, you let your emotions do the talking? or thinking and you say something you regret right it happens when when a couple fights uh, when a parent loses patience and even when a christian prays but god understands he doesn't hold it against us don't you see the incredible purpose of psalm 88 and it doesn't have to be physical suffering look at verse 8 you have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. The psalmist is all alone. Now, we don't know exactly what he's going through, but we know it's not just incredibly painful, it's incredibly lonely. And it's unfortunate, I think, that it's human nature, I suppose, that when life gets difficult, that's when we find it the hardest to open up. Others, it's um, at the precise moment when we should, we struggle to. Yeah. So I give you an example here. Like according to um, census, forty-five percent of all Australians uh, will or have experienced mental health issues once in their life. That's almost one in two. And if I look around us in this room this morning, even just you know statistically. There's a lot of people here who are struggling with depression, anxiety, but when's the last time you heard someone share at church the the struggles they've had with mental health? You see, we we can talk about suffering, but I suspect most of us don't know how to suffer with it. And Psalm 88 is so relevant because it captures what is it's like to be in a dark, dark place. Now, that's verse 1 and 8. You go for verse 1 and 8 and you jump down to verses 13 to 18. You get a second set of complaints which parallel verse 1 to 8. It looks like this. It repeats it, right? So verse 2, May my prayer come before you. Verse 13, In the morning my prayer comes before you. Verse 5, Whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. Verse 14, why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? Verse 7, your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your ways. Verse 16, your wrath has swept over me. They have completely engulfed me. Verse 8, you have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. Verse 18, you have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. You see, this psalm is laid out in two halves, right? You get a lonely experience of death uh, in verses 1 to 8, and then again in verses 13 to 18, such that they kind of form a pair of brackets. And the key is what goes in the middle. Let's look at it. The central point of the psalm, verses 9 to 12, I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness, or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? This is the challenge of Psalm 88. Understanding this is the difference between just suffering and suffering well. You think about it. Why would the psalmist start to question God's presence in the afterlife? What does that have to do with what he's going through right now? Why does he care whether God shows his wonders to the dead? Why the suffering Why why don't you just pray for deliverance while you're still alive? But he doesn't do that. Not once. Not once in the psalm does he say, Lord, please take this suffering away. Did you notice? He never once asks for help. And instead, at the center of the psalm are these four questions that direct our attention to what happens after we die. Now, that's not to say we shouldn't pray and ask God to remove suffering from our lives. No, we can and we should. Jesus did. But the psalmist does. He doesn't want to avoid suffering. It's almost like he's choosing to step into it. Why? I think because death stands between us and God. You're going to to stay with me on this. The psalmist, when he was writing this psalm, in the midst of his suffering, he looks to the future, unsure of what lies beyond. Will he see the wonders of God and experience His love? He can't be sure. For the psalmist, death is a closed door. You can't see through it. You can only walk through it which is what he did. I a, a, a hope you guys didn't think this song is about you or me. Because as agonizing as our sufferings are or how uh, despairing of our pain we feel, we haven't gotten close to what is described here. No one suffers like this psalmist. Nobody fits the description. You know, I've been saying the psalmist is the psalmist. Who is the psalmist? Well, let me read the psalm to you again with a different pronoun. You're very important. Let's see if it describes someone familiar. Verse 3. He is overwhelmed with trouble. His life draws near to death. He is counted among those who go down to the pit. He is set apart with the dead. Your wrath lies heavily on him. You have taken from him his closest friends. It's almost like he was betrayed, abandoned by his closest friends. They all ran away. Verse 14, Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? You can almost hear him pray, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, this psalm, like all psalms, points us to our great God and Saviour, Jesus. At the cross, Jesus suffered a hell you and I cannot comprehend. And he did it willingly. No one forced him. Right? He says, I lay down my life of my own accord. And in doing so, when he died, he, he flung open the door of death and stepped through so that what the psalmist can't see, couldn't see, couldn't know, we can. Because God raised him from the dead. You listen to how Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians 15. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when He comes, those who belong to Him. You know, someone, someone once gave an illustration that's something like this, a Paris race, I can't remember. But imagine, imagine your death, right? In the blink of an eye, you're, you're suddenly in a room and you look out the windows yeah. and you can see what's happening in the world. You're, you're looking at a funeral. It's your funeral. And it clicks, oh, dead. did. But once the panic, you know, fades, you realize, ah, I don't actually feel it. And you look around, you're in this room, um, and there's a closed door on the other side of the room. There's nothing else there. And you suddenly get the sense, you can't stay in the room. But you don't know what's on the other side. You don't know whether you can see smoke coming out from underneath, or if that's your, you know, Mind playing tricks on you, but you're terrified and and you're paralyzed with fear. Then you feel a hand on your shoulder, and a voice says, Don't worry, I've got this. I'll go first and prepare a place for you, and then I'll come back and take you to myself. It's Jesus. He opens the door and we're standing behind him and we get a glimpse of the other side. Not all of it, but just enough. The courage and warmth fills our heart. That is the point of Psalm 8. Do you want to know how to suffer well? Keep your eye on Jesus. He has gone before us. He faced death, the last enemy, and He defeated death by rising from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, which means what He experienced is now a reality for those of us who trust in Him. We will die, but we will rise again from the dead. You Look at what Jesus himself says in John 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Friends, trust Jesus. Trust what he says. Trust what God promises and persevere in suffering. Don't give up. The Bible says that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. And as heartbroken as you may feel today, the Bible promises it is but a light and momentary affliction. Get to know Jesus. Align yourself behind Him. Cue up behind Him. Look over his shoulder into what's beyond. If you do that, you will find yourself able to step into suffering and not just endure, but find joy. So, let me give you a few moments to think through the psalm and read it again on your own, and then I'll pray for Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have your word in our hands and your spirit in our hearts. And I pray that you would take your word and touch it deep in our hearts where it can take root, it can grip us and transform us so that in all things we will see Jesus Christ as the most glorious, the most beautiful, most majestic thing in the world. And through him we might see um, the eternal way of glory beyond all understanding. Give us strength to live and go through all the hardships, difficulties, sufferings, uh, give us perspective and help us, uh, we thank you that we can trust in you for all those things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.